Welcome to the Messiantics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey, everybody. This is the Messiantics talking, and we're just glad to be able to bring an episode to you today. Uh, we're going to have a, a conversation today that's uh, kind of relevant for not just uh, contemporary events, but also looking forward to the future, which again kind of is a, uh, a common theme uh, with our conversations here. Um, and it comes out of the um, uh, the fact that I was reading an article uh, earlier uh, this week, or late last week, I can't remember exactly, but I was reading and it was talking about the... Um, the statistical, the statistics on how many uh, religious leaders in America, particularly in evangelical Christianity, are um, set to just based on uh, age and number of years in service, are preparing to retire, and how American Christianity specifically is not quite ready for how many pastors are going to retire over the next uh, two to five to ten years. Um, Just because it will be so many all at once, particularly from uh, the boomer generation and the late late Xers, that there will be quite a few um, pastoral roles left without um, someone filling them. And so it kind of got me thinking, because over the past... I don't know, three months now, I've now heard of two Messianic Jewish rabbis who uh, had become friends with a local pastor um, who had, or one of, at least one of them had become friends with a local pastor, um, who he was asked by this particular uh, pastor who is getting ready to retire, hey, you know, would you um, take over leading my congregation? Um, and that they would, um, that they became... Uh, and, they, and they didn't like fold them into the Messianic congregation and started meeting on Saturdays or anything. They didn't bring them to the Saturday congregation, but they um, brought just began to shepherd them uh, as a Sunday church, as, as a church that gathered on you know typical you know Sunday mornings, uh, maybe Sunday evenings, you know Wednesday Bible study, that kind of thing. Just the standard church schedule. And so my question my, to my to myself and now to um, uh, Rabbi. David, Rabbi Toby, and Rabbi Eric, and to all of you out there, particularly those of you who are in leadership, uh, the question is, how would it look if in the next decade we saw, um, let's say, dozens of Messianic leaders that are still in leadership or coming into leadership, uh, how would it look if they in some circumstances, obviously special circumstances, took over and began to also run, maybe not in a super, like a, you know, super focused way, but as a, as a, like a teaching pastor or just enough to fill the role until the church could find, you know, someone who was trained and ordained in their particular denomination or tradition. If you had a, you know, dozens of messianic leaders also leading Christian churches, um, over the next, you know, within the next de- over the next decade, um, you know, how how does that look? You know, is there is there something there that is um, kind of lends hand to the you know prophetic reality of our movement that you know of, of people who not only who are Jewish coming to faith in Messiah, but people of no Jewish background at all 
uh, realizing and embracing the identity of Yeshua as who he was as a as a religious Jew. Um, you know, how does how would that look? So I pose the question to all of you for this discussion. So I I think it's a really intriguing concept uh, that presents both possible great things and possible difficulties at the same time. Sure. Um, but I, I'll, I'll look at the, the positive side first, which is probably not the most common Jewish attitude to take. Uh, my normal reaction to everything is I look for all of the possible ways it can blow up first, and then I go to the positive. <laughs> um, but that's just the pessimist in me, I guess. But um, the, the reality is the one thing that I see that could be a tremendous benefit in in a model, I mean, not that it's a model, but in a model like that, would be the ability to further impact the restoration of the Jewish identity of the promised Jewish Messiah among the greater body of Messiah. You know, if you're leading a Messianic Jewish synagogue, I mean, we all kind of feel the effects of this realistically. A Messianic Jewish synagogue, for lack of a better way of wording it, is in essence a niche market. You know, you're you're, you're not necessarily going to go, and, and you can, but you're not necessarily going to get the same response doing a, nor, a door knocking in neighborhoods for a Messianic synagogue as you would get for, you know, a local Baptist church or evangelical charismatic church or something, you know, you're not necessarily going to get the same uh, response and reaction off of mass mailing as you would for uh, a, a large evangelical church or something along those lines. It is realistically kind of a niche market. People that are looking for it will find it. People who have a hunger for it will ask questions uh, and, and so on. But in an environment like that, especially one where they share a building, because this is my my experience with those that I know that that are in this situation, is they they, they use the same building. So on you know Saturday morning will be the Messianic Shabbat service, and on Sunday morning will be the church service. But it's the rabbi leading both, and in doing so, he's able to um, to teach from a Messianic Jewish perspective in both environments. Now. Right. With that comes the the complication of needing to recognize that Messianic Jewish language isn't necessarily going to work quite as well in a church environment out the gate. You, right. you kind of got to build to that if you're going to attempt to. Right. Um, but so so I could see a tremendous opportunity for influence for the restoration of the Jewish identity of the promised Jewish Messiah uh, upon the greater body of Messiah by doing such. Um, and, and if we're honest, I can also see the potential for the increased income for the rabbi having two congregations that are, in essence, tithing and, and he gets paid off. I mean, just looking at the practical side, not to make it about money, but that is a right. practical reality. You know, a lot of a lot of Messianic rabbis, uh, you know, the congregations are small or, or what have you, uh, and uh, they're bivocational, trivocational, whatever. Um, it, it could be a way to allow for more active full-time ministry and be able to minister to more people all at once. Right. Um, so there, there is a... Um, there is a uniqueness to that that I could see a, a really positive uh, characteristic and outcome from. Um, I will say my hesitancy, and I don't think that not that I've heard any of of the the handful that I'm aware of that do this uh, say that this has been a direct impact that they've experienced. But my hesitancy would be that one of the major 
outcries that we get from the traditional Jewish community about Messianic Judaism is they say that we're a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, that we're just Christians posing as Jews for the the uh, opportunity, conversion. yeah, to yeah. to kind of trick Jews into thinking that they're still within Judaism but really converted into Christianity. Um, and I think my hesitancy would be. Is leading both a Messianic synagogue and a church at the same time, is it going to feed into or amplify that false stereotype and and uh, that um, distrust that the traditional Jewish community already kind of has in the Messianic Jewish movement? Right. Um, I'm not sure if it would or wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, that might that, but that's a, an honest hesitancy. That it's I an see. honest question. Yeah. My. Uh... <laughs> And of course, my my go to response is is like, well, you know, we're not li- like it, it, as if it changes our legitimacy in yeah. any way, regardless. Um, you know, because you know, for example, I, I was uh, explaining to a, a family member, you know, typically within the the normative Jewish world, whatever that means, um, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> we uh, we tend to get more problems and we tend to be hated more by um, non religious Jews or you know, typically in the reform camp. Um, than almost anyone else, because and not to say that we you know we don't have our problems with uh, the Orthodox. You know, the Orthodox obviously cause problems for Messianic Jews, um, and especially in places like Israel or in Jerusalem. But you know, the reform here, it, it's you know, it, which is kind of funny to me because like, well, like some of you don't even believe in God. Yeah, you know. Or the, the legitimacy of the word of God, or, or, or any of it, you know, you just it's you you, you know you you see people who, with the name yeah. Jesus Yeshua attached to Talits and Kippas, and you get angry, or, or as Ben Shapiro calls them, Ginos. Ginos. You, know, you got your rhinos, the Republican in name only. Oh, gotcha. You've got okay. he calls them Ginos, they're Jews in name only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's 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 true. So so I I don't know. It's, it, it's a good question because I can see, I I can definitely see how it could be. It could bring more harm, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's a are we losing? It's a lose lose anyway. So are we? Are we really? Yeah. Are we real? Are they, are they bringing more harm, or are they just beating the dead horse more? So I don't mean to like dominate the conversation early, and I, I promise I won't moving forward. But actually, you talking just then, what you were saying made me think of realistically a very logical counter to my hesitancy. Um, if we're honest. And and we try to be on this show, right? We we, we, we try to point out we, we we're called the messy antics for a reason yeah. because we're dealing with the the craziness, the antics, the the you know the the things that aren't necessarily one hundred percent right within Messianic Judaism that we'd like to 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 help mold a better future for the movement and so on. Um, but to that end, if we're honest, Messianic Judaism hasn't been the most effective at reaching Jewish people. Uh, now, I have my personal thoughts on why that is, uh, and I'm not going to get into that in this episode. We've talked about it previous, uh, but but nonetheless, uh, we, we aren't necessarily the most effective, but the church is very effective yes. at reaching the Jewish people. And it could be you know, where I said that my hesitancy would be in whether the Jewish world would simply go, this is you know, fodder for the fire of, of wolf and sheep's clothing argument. But the reality is, is would we have a better opportunity to share Messiah with Jewish people in the church side of that ministry? Right. Who then could at some point as the Lord 
you know, uh, puts it on their heart, mold into the Messianic Jewish community. Right. Um, I, it's become something I hadn't... And yeah. become un- also continue to live as Correct. Jews. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is when you brought this idea up the other day, uh, I hadn't thought about that. My initial instinct, like I told you earlier, my right. initial instinct was the hesitancy. Like, because again, my brain... I'm going to go for how does this blow up in our face? Like, what piles are we stepping in if we do this before I can get to, oh, here, here's something that'll work. Big, but, stinky ones. Exactly. <laughs> um, but that actually, that could be a huge positive. Like, if you were doing a pros and cons list to figure out if it was the right way to go or not, right. that would be a pretty substantial pro, is right. that the church effectively has been much better even since the the birth of the modern Messianic Jewish movement, the church right. still has been much more effective at right. reaching Jewish people. It's almost like it's kind of ironic um, because you know you have like um, so many Jewish believers who you know we'll even meet here, who even like occasionally come for our holy days here, who are who have been lovers and believers in Messiah for years, for years. have attended a church faithfully yeah. for years, and, and still do. And they'll come to Yom Kippur or to you know Rosh Hashanah, do the things that Jews do, right? <laughs> but then that's it. Like their 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 lives and their community is in the church world, and mm-hmm. you know, and ironically, the Messianic Jewish world <laughs> seems to draw in more Gentiles yeah. than mm-hmm. it does you know Jews. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know if there's something there, and I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to get away from the original question and conversation, but well, you know, that's part of it, I think. Yeah, and, and I think that the organic reality of a conversation like this is where does it lead to? You've got to look at all possible avenues that we can contemplate and really wrestle with. I mean, I talked about this the other day. Uh, I think I may have talked about it on Saturday. I don't remember. Uh, but I talked about this the other day that the, the word Israel, you know, Israel in Hebrew just simply means one who wrestles with God. Right? And that is at the crux of the Jewish understanding, not very literally that we're fighting with God, but we're right. wrestling with our understanding of who God is, our right. understanding of our relationship with God, and so on. Um, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's why it's so important that in Judaism, uh, biblical conversation is focused on the question. You know, we always joke, you answer a question with a question. It's focused on the question. Right. And so each question presents new questions. So in order to get to some sort of an assumption uh, of, of uh, understanding, we first have to wrestle with that. And I think that's, you know, you said not to steer this in a different direction, but I think chasing those different avenues, right. I think the rabbit the, the, the rabbit trails are valuable in right. a lot of ways, not yeah. just because we're all ADD, but... Sure. Yeah, I was thinking about... Did it hurt? The My, my thoughts about this whole concept, because, like, I've taught in a bunch of different churches over the years, and but I was teaching what I believe in the church setting... Right. Uh, where I, I'm not sure how I could myself. Now, I'm not taking away from the calling of others who might be able to do that, but I don't know how I could honestly, without being disingenuous, teach a typical Christian service, Christian message with the same kavanah that I would shepherding a flock in a Messianic synagogue. It would be very difficult for me not to feel like at least in some way I was posing. Sure. And uh, and then, then the questions of why would I be posing? Why would I choose to do that rather than, uh, you know, invite those people to come to... And I, and I know it's the sheep without a shepherd thing, but I, I'm, I'm just... I'm trying to work around this in my mind to see... 
how this concept would work. I know it does work because I know of several rabbis who have a congregation uh, that meets on and then one that meets on Sunday. Right. And and they've been doing it for years. So there is a, a method. Right. I just don't know how I would personally uh, be able to do that. Right. And I was I was talking to my wife about this, uh, Catherine, um, because I, I ask her in always things wisdom that, uh, you know, I don't think I could I could never be like a head pat like they I could tell them like you cannot hire me and expect me to be the head pastor like you've got to look for someone else but you know if let's let's say and again this is kind of the I'm going to do the the Jewish thing the extreme negative on the other on the other end of this like let's say I mean it is just like there are no pastors like there are just not enough and there are let's say you know here in Pensacola we have quite a few churches so let's say for out of like 30 churches you've got 10 without pastors and again this is just a you know a, guessing number because there's a lot more than 30 churches here but let's say you've got 30 you know what we would call bible believing churches uh here in pensacola 10 that all of a sudden overnight you know within a two-year period just don't have anyone who's capable of leading in a teaching pastoral role um you know could i step into I, i i think i could honestly and genuinely step into a role as a teaching pastor you know, where I show up on Sunday, I make sure the service goes off without a bang, but where most of the um, most of the activity, most of the execution of the service, at least, in just regards to the service of the church, um, is executed by its elders and its deacons, whereas I could get up and prepare a message and a teaching and be and be it could be it would be you could be genuinely messianic. You know, genuinely from me, you know, and, you know, not watered down in any way. I might change some of the language some, you know, just because that's what people are, you know, like if I start talking about, you know, you know, Shekinah, you know, that most people, you know, right. uh, Shekinah, they might know, depending on which 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 uh, flavor of church it is. But, you know, I might have to change some of the language, but the, the heart, the intent um, could remain the same. But I don't think I could personally, like, I could never be a... Southern Baptist pastor. I could be a teaching pastor that is there temporarily to aid in keeping the community and the body together to hear teaching from the Word of God at least once a week in preparation for when they have a pastor um, and even help in the search for that pastor. You know, especially if it's, let's say, let's say, you know, I'm in my. So I'm, kind of a stopgap, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But like, think about that. If I think about if you had a bunch of Messianic rabbis. As stopgaps in the church world for let's say just a couple years, you know, think about the teaching like thir- from a thoroughly messianic, messi- messianic, messianic way of viewing the Bible, of viewing Scripture, of viewing Yeshua. You know how much impact that could yeah. have for generations to come. So, so sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, I just was that. Well, how widespread is? I know you read this article. I just, uh, you know, I, you know, this, this is what Rabbi Jonathan read this article. I, my question was, my first question when you told me about the article was, um, how widespread is this? It's expected to be Ameri- at least America wide. So across the U.S., no real, no and, real. There's no real um, demographic that's going to be affected and more or this, less. This article talked about messianic rabbis too. No, no, no. It was it was yeah. from the church perspective, right? But the reason we're having this conversation, uh, one is because he brought up could that bridging the two with right, a sure. rabbi filling the role of both 
be beneficial, but also we've had this very conversation about Messianic Judaism on probably no less than four or eight episodes of this oh, at least. podcast I mean, so at far. Least. And, and, and it so, is a, sometimes it takes over other episodes. Yeah, I yeah. know that the, there's a widespread, yeah. uh, I know that there is an uh, on the horizon a yeah. tidal wave of uh, of a generation of, of uh, congregational leaders, both Messianic and uh, in the yeah. church uh, that are going to retire, and I think there's more of those right. yeah. than there is. And there's no one, and like most people think, oh, well, we could just have someone step into that role. No, I'm talking about trained and ordained pastors. Like, yeah. You know, like, for example, Southern Baptist, young men who have gone to seminary, yeah. who have graduated with at least a bachelor's, maybe an MDiv. And have at least $83,000 in school debt. Right. And, no, yeah. preferably not. God, God forbid. But like, no, actually, you know, there are denominations that they will pay your school debt right. if you get ordained, which right. is so phenomenal. And then they bring them in, yeah. and you know they have churches on the other end going, hey, come in. We have a job opening for you, and we want you to train under the senior pastor for four or five years, and then he's going to retire, and this is going to be your game. I don't want to shift this conversation yeah. into, like David said, David said, you know, earlier when you said you have your certain reasons uh, that you feel a certain way about something, and you don't want to go into it because you don't want to make this conversation about that. Um, let me say this. Um, for the church, uh, I think that they would have a much easier time filling the shoes of a pastor because uh, than a messianic synagogue because I think that there's a lot more um, hurdles or, or fence lines that people have to get through in the messianic movement because you have some synagogues that are like, well, we don't just want we don't just want a congregational leader; we want a Jewish rabbi, right? Um, and, and I think that uh, the, the the church is very good with being egalitarian about we don't care where they come from. I want to say they're better about that. I'm not saying nobody nobody right. Perfect. Well, because that's what the article was. The article was acknowledging that oh, we have not done as good a job. And preparing younger leaders, you know, there's not enough yeah. to replace. I, I, the... I, I think that there's two issues. I think one problem just the Messianic movement has, and I think it's the issue with. I think that there's a. I, I think that there's a lot more hoops that a person, a candidate, would have to jump through to be a Messianic rabbi over to, to fill the shoe to replace a Messianic rabbi, as we've seen with our own eyes, right? In our time, we, we you know. There's a lot more hoops. That, I think one thing that both have in common, and it's the first thing that came to my mind, was that uh, financially, churches and synagogues have a problem. And I think it's harder for Messianic synagogues because they're smaller, and church uh, churches have more people, which means they have more money. And I think a real problem is they have to take care of the outgoing guy, and they also have to take care of the incoming guy. And I think some churches, really large massive churches can handle that kind of you know the ones that you know the churches that have like 40 pastors they have like the pastor over the red solo cups like he's our yeah do you understand what i'm saying yeah i understand you will go to a mega church website i'm sorry you go to a mega church website and i'm like oh this is the pastor over the uh, hedges in the front of the um okay what i'm saying is this because they have money and yes they're a big organization i don't want to get too i want to be careful um but i do think that there are some churches out there that are really top heavy Right, and uh, you don't really find that in Messianic Judaism. You simply don't. Um, I, I hope I'm at least striking some chord. I'm making some kind of sense here. Right, uh, but sure. I think I, I think a problem is for even for a small church, a problem would be like, well, Pastor Blank is retiring. We we need a new pastor. But how are they going to take care of Pastor Blank and bring in Pastor Blank? 
Right. You know, and uh, I, whereas well, that's it, one area that the church has been much better at than Messianic Judaism, in that most, especially well established and and well organized, well run institutions. Um, you know, and I can think of. Uh, probably 15 churches just in our county alone where where CMC is uh, and you can probably think of just as many if not more in this area that um, they have which is something that like our our leadership is wanting to build for us at CMC they have a um, a retirement package built into like an emeritus yeah build well not even that just a retirement package built into the uh, the salary package for those pastors you know if you come into one of these big churches um, you've got you know IRAs that are being paid into or what 401Bs or whatever they're called no I mean there's 401K there's there's 403B I think it's 403B that's specifically for clergy that allows for when you start taking from it your housing allowance that you were tax credited on your housing allowance is still tax free when you start to draw on it. Right. Um, I think it's called a 403B if I remember correctly. But nonetheless, that they have these retirement packages built in. So when that senior leader is getting ready to retire uh, and they're getting ready to bring in a new one, it's not so much they got to worry about how do we take care of the old one to bring in the sure. new one. It's already handled, built into the organizational structure that they've developed. Um, and I actually think so. So for me, the reason why I think this is such a valid conversation to have, not just whether or not a Messianic rabbi can fill a pulpit of a church, uh, and, and I, I think I'm. I, I see where Rabbi Eric's coming from. Like, can I, with all uh, uh, genuineness, stand on a pulpit of a church every single week and and preach? And I think given the opportunity that they understand, I'm going to preach what I believe to be true. I'm going to teach what I believe to be true from a Messianic perspective, even if I'm doing it in kind of, quote-unquote, Christian language or lingo rather than necessarily Messianic lingo. um, I, I think as long as they understand I'm doing this from my context uh, with the hope of establishing or, or reestablishing the Jewish identity of, of the Jewish Messiah. I think I think I can make it work. I'm not saying I want to do that, but I think right. I can make it work. I think it goes hand um, in hand with but, Paul's idea of, you know, all things talk yeah, people. Like, yeah, yeah. You can relate to another yeah. group without, like, compromising. Yeah. yeah. But, like, the reality is we look at this, and we talked about it in this this. Uh, podcast that the movement, the Messianic movement, is in this, uh, and I think, logically speaking, realistically speaking, I think it's a far faster problem in the Messianic movement than it maybe it is even in the the, yes, the church absolutely. world. Hundred um, percent. That that we're running into this very complication. We've got more pulpits that will be vacated from very retirement quickly. or from from retiring or expiring in the next ten to twenty years than we have people to step into those pulpits uh, to help lead them, um, and. I think it's a pertinent conversation because for me and and for the as as a younger leader in the movement, I'm I'm in my 40s now, so I can't really say the young leader anymore. But as a younger leader in the Messianic movement, that's been a battle in my heart for the last two decades of ministry. Is that we don't have a legitimate standing future leadership wise uh and somehow we've failed at that somehow we've missed the boat but now looking at it and going okay wait no this isn't just an us problem this is a body of messiah problem the church is being affected by it which means the entirety of the body is being affected by it it is not just an us problem it's a greater i think it's a greater uh statement philosophically ideologically 
spiritually um, to the state of the body of Messiah in the 21st century than it is a statement to where Messianic Judaism is in the 21st century. Um, I, I mean, I think we have our own problems that sow into it in our own Specter, but but I think that it's it it it's encouraging to some degree to me. Not I mean it's discouraging that we're finding ourselves in this place, but it is encouraging that it's not just us. You know, I always tell people like uh, uh, messianic synagogues. It's a niche market. When you come here, a lot of times you feel like you're you know you're you're one of only a handful because it's just the people you see in your congregation. But right. then you go to the MJ Messiah Conference, MJ right. Southeast, or you go to the UMJC Summer Conference, or Thank Tacoon, God I'm not alone. Yep, or the Tacoon Conferences. You go, oh, I'm not the only weirdo out there. There's more weirdos <laughs> like me, right? Um, and, and this is the same kind of thing. Like, okay, this is not something innate to messianic Judaism, even right. though it feels like it is because that's the circles we run in. Right. But it's something that is a a problem uh, culturally spiritually in the body as a whole um how do we then overcome it could it potentially and i'll add a separate question to this that feeds in could it potentially be that this being a problem the greater body is the or, or could it play as a catalyst in putting messianic judaism at the forefront of the body mm. if you were to have messianic rabbis serving not just as stopgaps, but potentially permanently or, or full-time mm-hmm. as the rabbi of the Messianic Synagogue on Saturday, Friday night or Saturday mornings, and then on Sunday, a whole separate church congregation, interrelated, still connected, still one right. entity, right. but two separate congregations. Could, right. it, could it be a way to restore the Messianic Jewish head of the body of Messiah, if that makes sense? Does it make sense to you what I'm trying to ask there, Rabbi Eric? Yeah, I understand the concept of, of trying to bring the the Messianic movement to their prophetic place within the body. Uh, I'm just, you know, years ago there was a guy who was who put together a Messianic Bible study, and he was promoting it as a means to go into churches to teach the people in the churches there the fundamentals of Messianic Judaism. Um, and he said, this is a great way for you to go into a church and possibly reap some new members to your congregation. Uh-huh. And I said, well, are you telling that Are you telling that to the pastors? Are you, are you up front saying, right. I'm coming into your church so I can teach this study so that hopefully some of your people will leave your congregation and come to mine? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, my dilemma in this is, how do I, with fullness of heart, minister to a group of people uh, without saying something like, I know you're here, but I would like to see you here. And uh, because of our convictions and our beliefs that while Messianic Judaism isn't perfect, it is what we believe is right as it's growing toward perfection. I think this would be an interesting conversation to continue again on a future episode, not to end this. I mean, I, I think we still got a lot more we can go through, but to, to continue to, to have on a future episode and maybe bring in, um, you know, the, there, there are a handful of people we can, I can think of off the top of my head right. that serve in similar roles and similar right. capacities. Um, right. how, do you, how do you do this? But just to, yeah, and to, to ask those very questions, how, how do you make this work? Yeah, uh, and there's. Yeah, and there's also those that are Messianic rabbis who actually function within a church. Yeah. In other words, like Gateway Church has a yeah. Messianic rabbi that actually leads 
a messianic congregation that is actually fundamentally a part of Gateway Church. Yeah. So we had a few, not well, it's not a few, a number of years back now, this was uh, probably 10 years, 10, yeah, about 10 years ago. Um, so the, when we started Congregation Maim Chaim, the building we now own, we were originally renting space there from the church that at that time owned it. Um, and uh, they got to a point the church had over the years kind of dwindled down, and uh, they, they really didn't have uh, a sustainable community anymore there. And so uh, they had a pastoral shift trying to bring it back to life. Didn't work out so well. They brought right. in a belligerent, older, retired pastor. He was in his upper 80s and mm-hmm. hard of hearing and very opinionated and oh. Uh, you know his way or the highway kind of thing, but he was also very anti-Semitic, and he ran us out of the the Oof. property. Oof. And uh, so when we were in a rush, we had like three weeks that we had to find somewhere to meet. Because I straight when when this all went down and and some things that happened, some things were said. I just went to him and said, "All right, we're going to be out on such and such a date." Um, and no clue where we were going to be after that, but this this we can't do this. We can't be here. Um, and uh, and so we actually had a significant sized church in our area very near our property now that uh our our we have a relationship with a very close friend of mine the pastor senior pastor is and uh he actually approached me and uh what he wanted to do was to bring cmc onto their property to give us a portion of ownership of their property we would be an autonomous congregation on their property, but then also bring me on staff as a staff rabbi with their church in their teaching staff. Um, So, you know, the synagogue would be autonomous, sharing the property relationally together, um, but then uh, also be a part of their teaching staff as a staff rabbi with them or the staff rabbi with them. Um, And it was a very intriguing, we kind of chased the thought down, we we wrestled with it a little bit and uh, ultimately ended up being that their leadership, their their elders decided that, or board rather, their board decided that um, though they really loved the idea and wanted to be a blessing to us, that they could not in good conscience put us in that position and then with, without knowing, because they were growing rapidly, still grow rapidly, without knowing what the future was going to hold and if there was going to come a point in time where they would not be able to house our, our Shabbat service. Right. Um, and so they said, look, we love you. We, we don't want to harm relationship, but in good conscience, we can't put you in a position that we don't really know what a future would hold in that scenario if we were to do this. Right. Um, so I fully respected it, but it was a really intriguing thought. And it would have been kind of like what Gateway does in that it would have been a Messianic rabbi, like Rabbi Eric was saying, a Messianic rabbi on staff and, and teaching and doing things, but also the autonomous separation of our congregation as its own existence on that property too, right. which was a really intriguing thought and something that was very interesting right. uh, to, to have had. And if it had happened, it would have been a God thing either way. Right. But. And that opens up another, <laughs> again, another theme, is that there, you know, there's so many, if something like that were to, were to occur, you know, there's so many Messianic congregations that are looking or spaces, you know, if, you know, let's, let's say the only hope of a church surviving financially is to bring in a congregation and you have the negotiating power to say, you know, we want, we want to do, you know, both of us are here, um, kind of together, but also kind of autonomous, you know, it might, it might be a congregations who are right now renting front office strip mall spaces to worship in to actually get a building that is built to be a house of worship set apart from, you know, not near TJ Maxx or whatever. So, 
Yeah, we had an interesting situation at Britom a few years ago before we bought our current building, and that was that the local conservative synagogue had contacted us and asked us if we were interested in buying their facility So, because they had dwindled down in numbers and they couldn't afford their building. And what they wanted to do was for us to buy the building and then rent them back their smaller sanctuary because they have a big sanctuary and a smaller one right and allow them to continue to meet on saturdays uh in the morning as their congregation but we would own the building so fundamentally there would be a conservative synagogue and a messianic synagogue worshiping in the same facility at the same time uh which was, which was again, another unique twist to this, how do you do this? You'd almost have to go, I need to see the full uh, Amidah that you're going to be doing in your service every week to make sure that we're not working against each other entirely. But <laughs> Right. But no, you know, yeah, so I remember when things- you guys had that, that on the table, it was a really intriguing, and it almost happened. It came really close to right. it. Yeah, so it's, you know, these things happen around where unique situations arise uh, that you have to walk through and talk through and and get through these different things. You know, we have a Lutheran church that rents from us right now, and we have a Methodist church that contacted us this week that's splitting from the great, the United Methodist church, and they want to possibly rent our building in the afternoon on Sundays. Yeah. And uh, so... We would have a Lutheran church, a Messianic synagogue synagogue that is renting our building to a Lutheran church. And a Methodist church. And a Methodist church. Yeah. Both both of whom are denominations that haven't always necessarily been friendly with the Jewish people. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Right. And both both of those congregations left their or are leaving their home organization because of fundamental Bible truths that right. they hold to for righteous that their reason. home organization no longer does. Yeah, right. and one of those being um, a a support of Israel and its prophetic purposes. Right, and yeah, yeah this is absolutely. And we talk about this as being like unique situations, and that's what my question yeah. originally is: is that this is potential statistically? This is about to become a more common yeah. thing. It's not going to be unique any longer. Yeah. It will become, or at least is expected to become. A more common, more uh, thing that we see happen around the country. So, I don't know that you've actually shared, Jonathan. I don't know that you've actually shared your thoughts on how you could picture if if it were to happen. For instance, if you were in that position, if you were a senior rabbi being asked to then also take over as the senior pastor of a church, um, how would you picture that potentially playing out? Yeah, I think I'm, I hit on it a little bit a minute ago about. You know, I've been talking to Catherine. Uh, my wife about it because I was really running it over in my mind because I, I took the article to heart. You know, I was really like, "Wow, this is like this could be the reality of of life in the next five years." That you know, I I, I know for a fact I could do like a teaching pastoral role. Like I could come in, you know, it's it's your responsibility to, you know, you, you I'm, I'm assuming the church would have some kind of staff, whatever that looks like. You know, but it's it's your as deacons and elders, it's your responsibility to make sure the sound is working. Worship team is you know um, ready to lead worship, and I can communicate with these people just to make sure they're doing it. Um, kind of like you know we've talked before about you know um, military experience, you know, because I've I've had military experience and you know disseminating you know uh, tasks according to that command structure that 
each person has their roles and like, I'm not going to micromanage. Like I'm going to be like, okay, is the worship team all set to go? Sound crew all set to go? Is the, you know, um, you know, deacons and elders, y'all are set to do, you know, are the ushers, you know, are y'all set to do whatever you're going to do? And I could come in and I could, you know, be there to see through the execution and then to teach and to give a message that again would be thoroughly messianic yeah. in its in its in its heart and its intent. Um, again, you know, sort of you know, prune to you know, so that way prune to not have so much Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that way, you know, because most people, especially in those kind of churches, are they're just you know, Hebrew is not going to be so. Right. Like my, my my question, and and I think I could do like uh, Rabbi Jonathan is saying, talking, and I think. Toby or, or Rabbi David, Rabbi Toby or Jonathan, all of us could go in and teach at a place for a period of time filling in. My question comes, you know, for instance, when it comes to holidays, like none of us would have a real problem with Oktoberfest. Right. But or Thanksgiving. when it came to Christmas Easter, Easter or Christmas, yeah. right. uh, how are you going to, to deal with those that's true. That is a very well, intriguing. That that's is a, a good. That's a good point. But that it, is a problem. It's a good yeah. question. And again, that's that would be a situation where I would have to pass it off to the elders of the church, the deacons, and be like, if y'all want to have Christmas decorations, y'all are going to have to set that up. Y'all are going to have to organize that. But I'm I, I'm not. Um, you or, know, yeah, or teach on it. Even have somebody teach on it to make that stretch because. Yeah. I just right because my messages around that time of year are going to be more um, Hanukkah related, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be in line, probably. You know, probably with the Torah portion. Like that would be what we would work out of, whatever the parsha is for that week. At least that's what I would be working out of. And you know, we would encourage that reading during the week. Be like, all right, because you know there are churches that put out bulletins, weekly bulletins of like, you know, here's and you know, I, I could do that. So that that's a good question. Um, but you know, I. Uh, uh, and you know, again, things that would have to be navigated, uh, yeah. for sure. But I, I'm also, you know, I, I, I'm, I have confidence in my navigable activities. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. see, you bringing that up, Rabbi Eric, it actually kind of reiterates what I was saying earlier that it'd be really intriguing, not combatively. I, I really am curious how it works because I've always looked at, you know, for, for instance, right. Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn has a congregation that has Friday night services and Sunday morning services. Right. And the Sunday morning is, from what I understand, kind of traditionally dealt more as a church than it is a, a, a Messianic congregation, per se. Um, though, obviously, he's a Messianic rabbi, so there's a Messianic slant. but they've And, and he's done it that way for decades, right? right. Um, uh, you know, Rabbi Frank Sussler, who, uh, if memory serves, has a uh, leads a Messianic synagogue on Shabbat and a church on Sundays. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think you've actually spoken in his congregations before, right, Rabbi, Rabbi Eric? Right. I've spoken. I've, I've spoken in both the yeah. synagogue and the church. Yeah. So I would I would be really intrigued to have a conversation with you know one or or, or two or, or however many of, of the guys that do do that. Just ask us when when Christmas and Easter because and again in Messianic Judaism, you know the four of us here are not necessarily the biggest fans of Christmas and Easter. We don't have like. I don't get upset that believers celebrate them because right, right. I understand and, and fully believe that their heart is in the right place. It's right. just on the wrong day. And that is what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I don't personally celebrate Christmas and Easter. There are those within Messianic Judaism that do. And that's that is, that's fine. There's people within our own congregations that do. And that's fine. I don't like police that. I don't teach that they shouldn't. That's right. between them and God. Right. I teach what I believe to be the case. And this is where we go as a congregation. But yeah, in, in that perspective, how do you handle these things? 
How right. if something like this arises, uh, you know, when Christmas rolls around, what do you do? How do you? Because I remember when we were renting space as a congregation from a church. Uh, every year when Christmas rolled around, there was like, you know, a, a 18, 20 foot Christmas tree in the sanctuary decked out with lights and, and decorations <laughs> and all. And we're like, well, crap, how do we hide that during the Torah service so it doesn't look weird? I remember, heck, I remember, uh, Rabbi Eric, you remember when we planted uh, the the congregation that used to be in Foley and we were using that Episcopal church. And, um, and, and when we started there, uh, they had this monstrous, it had to have been like a 25 foot high cross on the wall behind the the stage um and it it was it, i mean it was huge yeah um we never said anything about it we never complained about it it's we never said hey you need to hide this right? right but we showed up for that very you remember this rabbi eric we showed up for that very first service and they had built this giant thing that we could a very lightweight we could pick up and hang over top of the cross so that instead of seeing the cross you just see what looks like a giant speaker up there mm-hmm. um and and they did that out of their own kindness of their heart to put that up um that wasn't anything we asked for it wasn't a complaint that we made right. like Messianic synagogues meeting in churches, we recognize it as a church. It's going to look like a church. Some things are going to feel like a church. That is what it is. Um, But when you're the leader of that, how do you navigate yeah. when those issues arise in that manner? Yeah. That's I, I really would be intrigued to to have that conversation. Yeah, and, yeah I think I think it would make a great episode to invite uh, maybe Rabbi Frank or Rabbi um, Brian, who's just stepping who's into that. Yeah, just at the just stepping into that role, and uh, if we could get Rabbi Jonathan Khan to come on. Uh, that would be uh, because all three of them are, are different dynamics than the same. Yeah, yeah, and that, so I mean, at this time, I really couldn't answer like, how would I do it? How would yeah, I handle yeah. being a senior? And I mean, we're all theorizing right. anyway. Oh, sure, point, yeah, it's all so. hypothetical because that's I mean, that's tr- truthfully like if they were like, yeah, could you be like for the remainder of your years be the, the lead yeah. pastor? Like, I, you know, I, I could I could make hospital visits, I could mm-hmm. you know do funerals, all the all of those things I could do, but when it comes to the the lead guy, I'd be like I would I, yeah. would, I just don't think I could honestly. I would have now, to be like, let's do a sit down in January. Let's sign a contract. Yeah. I'm with you for the year. We'll sit down and reevaluate. Yeah. Come next January. Now, if a church approached me and said, "Would you be willing?" Not to leave your congregation, but to come on staff part time or whatever with our church as the a staff rabbi as part of our teaching team. Would you be right. willing? Like, dude, I could work that out. That Absolutely. wouldn't be a complication. Right. There is a whole different, and I think that's the whole point of this. There is a whole different discussion to being the senior leader of both. Right. But at the same time, it is a very pertinent conversation because right. we've had the discussion before over and over again about this reality that Messianic Judaism will have empty pulpits in 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. everywhere. You know, I, I just had this conversation with uh, uh, some some union leaders recently that in the next 15 years, 20 years, what we know is the congregational Messianic Jewish movement may not exist in at least as we know it if some things don't change rapidly because of this very problem right you know there are too many pulpits that will be empty and not enough bodies that are willing to fill them right um how do we how do we overcome that how do we um how do we remedy that situation and if it's a greater body of messiah issue um how do we how do we remedy for ourselves how do we model that remedy for the church and if if this is an avenue that God opens up for some Messianic rabbis, is that a way to remedy it between both worlds? Um, I, I don't know. I, I have 
again, I joked around at the beginning, you know, we, we uh, answer questions with that questions. I think we have far more questions now than we even began with in talking about this. But I do think it's a very valid conversation. It's one that I would really be interested in knowing from those that actually do it. How does this work functionally? Um, and uh, Yeah, it's very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something to think about, you know, and when I heard the when Jonathan brought up the the topic, I was like, that's something I need a long time to think about before I could say anything because yeah. you have to take into right. account that uh while we're part of the same body that the church and the messianic movement are vastly uh, different vastly different yeah. Yeah. and with different issues, some things in common, there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. And even with the problems that overlap with uh, churches and Messianic, as I mentioned before, even with those problems that overlap, uh, the Messianic movement and the church handled them so differently. Right. Uh, again, going back to what I was saying about ju- just simply replacing a senior leader yeah. uh, who is retiring. not re- I don't, I don't, Replacing is, I don't mean that in a negative word, but I'm just saying when someone steps down or retires, right. um, with, with the Messianic movement, there is a lot more... Um, things that are considered, some I think that are important, and some that I think shouldn't be part of the considerations, but they are. Right. And um, but that would be getting into discussions that we've had, you know, many times over, and I think that we'll continue to have because yeah. I think it's important. But you know, yeah, I think they'll re- reappear from time to time. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not that like I'm sold on this is the way it has to go, right? But it does spike a oh, bit of interest that I I really want to explore it more. Yeah, it would, not in the sense that I want to like go do it, but right. Yeah, I, I like I would explore the functionality. If, if I actually got approached with the same question, it, I would be like, I would have to pray about that and really think because you know I've like all of us, we've got uh, I've got a lot on my plate, and yeah. I'm like, could could I prepare a second message, you know, a second uh, teaching uh, and yeah. during the week and. I, also be able to minister to the souls of yeah. the people okay. a whole other group of yeah. people I, i'll tell you this just fl- let's flipping the situation i'll mm. tell you this mm. um when i was in macon uh and i had not been going to and it was beth yeshua in macon uh i had not been going very long and uh the rabbi there um the, the rabbi in macon was um he fell ill and he's he's fine now, you yeah. know. God totally healed him and stuff. But what I'm saying is, is that he had a major life threatening illness and was out for months and right. months right. and months. And I remember when we were renting from a church at the time uh, before Beth Yeshua got its own building. It has its own building now. But we had the pastor of the church come over and do teaching and. That was rough. I'm going to be honest with you. So we're, we're, it's interesting. I'm just simply saying we're putting from this perspective like a messianic rabbi coming into a church, and 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 we think about uh, how that would be received and, right. and how that would be done. But then I think, well, man, if someone from a church came over, I think you would have a lot of people. In the, it's interesting yeah. because I've spent time in both worlds, mm-hmm. and you and I have too, Jonathan. Right. We've spent a time, and it's interesting how. Uh, I think that you would have some people who would be like, fine. Right. But I think you would have a lot of people who would be like, hey, man, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. at a Messianic synagogue for a reason. Yeah. Right? I will I will add to that, that I think, now that you bring that up, that's another good point, is that the, I will say that I think Messianic teaching is better received in churches yeah, than, the other than way church around. teaching is received Yes, in and I think that's synagogues. an important point to think about. Right. And, and with yeah. that, in, you yeah. know, 
we all get invited to speak in churches, right? Right. And we understand that we're invited to speak as Messianic rabbis. So there's there's an assumption on the audience's part of where we're coming from when we speak. We're built different. But we still, but right. we still communicate those messages in a way that they can grasp and understand, right? Right. Um, and right. and so, th- but that's an area, and I think part of the reason why maybe it wasn't so cohesive there yeah. is because the Messianic movement, like, and I hadn't really thought about this before either until this conversation, <laughs> like, we're really happy when churches invite us to come speak, right? but how many of us actually invite pastors to come speak yeah, at our see, congregations? I, I, I think that, that and, yeah, it's in, what I'm saying, and just yeah. not to interrupt, but I'm saying it's this interest, it, it just, it hit me at the very, I know we've been going for like 50 minutes, but I'm saying it didn't hit me until I listened yeah. to this whole conversation. I'm like, wait a minute, let's flip this. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I've been talking with uh, yeah. uh, one pastor friend of mine, real good friend of mine, that I actually want to come speak at CMC in the next couple of months. Uh, and so I, I, I'm hoping to get him on the book soon. But I know, you know, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg in Seattle at Restoration um, has had over the last uh, eight years or so some pretty substantial medical things, you know, diverticulitis, a few other things um, that, right. that have kept him out of his pulpit for weeks at a time, uh, a couple of years uh, that, that it happened. I mean, not like he wasn't out of the pulpit for several years, but over the course of a couple of years, uh, you know, a, a month or two, you uh, each time and uh that but he's got some really phenomenal relationships with pastors in their area that that's exactly what he does when when he you know needs somebody to come in he's got pastors that he invites to come and speak at their their congregation and they come in as pastors so the congregation has the assumption they're going to communicate right. in the way that they communicate but they're going to they're, they're preaching a message that isn't particularly a quote unquote church message. Right. You know, it, it is a messianic affirming message, um, but they're preaching it from their way, and so it is very well received because right. there's that relationship there where they're already communicating and know how to communicate. But yeah, you're right. Like, and, and I'm not even looking at would a synagogue be able messianic synagogue be able to 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 uh, survive if you had a pastor fulfilling both pulpits on a regular basis, but just on the 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 occurrence of bringing guest speakers in, like how often do messianic synagogue? I've never had a church pastor come in as a guest speaker at CMC, right. not because I'm not open to it, because until the last year or so, it wasn't anything that even registered on my mind. Like, I'm super happy when a church says, hey, yeah. come take my pulpit for the week, but do I return that blessing and that favor mm-hmm. uh, and, and give people an opportunity, the rest of the body opportunity to sow into our community right. uh, and, and and so on? Um, man, that's Come yeah. out with more questions than we do answers, but <laughs> Rabbi Eric, do you ever have you ever yeah. had pastors come in? I mean, because you know, Brett Elm's been around for a while, so and you're old. Yeah, we no. have. <laughs> so what is the? Well, we, we have. Okay. Uh, we, we've had several pastors come in over the years. Um, How does the came, and, and some who have connections like Raleigh Washington is a pastor. We yeah. had uh, Coach McCartney come. He was a pastor. We. We've had others that come, but they understood the Messianic vision yeah, to some extent, so they could tailor their message to, in the same way we do. We When I go to a church, I tailor my message to that church, uh, not just giving the same thing I would get on Saturday. Yeah. I find this whole conversation really important, and partly because if, in fact, as the article that Rabbi Jonathan read and showed us, is true that over the next five or ten years, there, these possibilities are going to present themselves. Yeah, uh, I I think it's important that we have this actual discussion now, rather than waiting ten years and then trying to figure out the what's and why's and when's and yeah. why fours of 
a possibility. Yeah. Well, I, I think that some of that attitude, like with, again, this 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 is probably for another episode. I'm just saying, just a tidbit here. Uh, I think let's just imagine this: you go to a church, we go to a church, and after church is over, we go to lunch. We go to a we go to a restaurant. Just pick one. I don't want to say one because I don't want to be like, oh, you know. But let's just say we all go to lunch in, after. In the old days, we'd all go to the buffet. After okay, church. said we all go to the buffet. But let's Apple just imagine. Bees. Okay, so wherever we go to bees or whatever, but we go there. <laughs> if a group, everybody, now, hear me out. This is true. If a group from a church, from our church, we all go to a church, all four of us, and let's go to lunch, guys, after service. We go to service, and let's say a group from another church also goes and we hear them talking about maybe the message we hear them talking about Jesus chances are I'm not going to go up to them because oh it's understood but let me tell you something me and David went in went to lunch after a, a recording day here and we had our sit-sits on we went to lunch and these two Israeli guys came up to us the Jewish people there's this there's even in the messianic movement is what I'm saying there's this I still think and I think it's the difference between Jewish culture and non-Jewish culture and with Jewish culture there is even in messianics which you know messianic Judaism still evangelistic and outreach oriented because of the gospel of Yeshua but they're still being Jewish they're still within a Jewish community there's still an insular attitude a little bit you know like a uh, almost like a tribal attitude right. you know because like I said I, I don't go up to it you know when I, when we were at church and, and I saw other Christians from another church I didn't go oh hey are you are you uh but you wear your sit sits out you might have a Jewish guy come up to you like when my mom went to party city and went to the Hanukkah section and a lady went up to her are you Jewish are you Jewish too you know, you guys follow what I'm saying mm-hmm. right right yeah so yeah yeah, highlights. So I think that there's when I think of when we flip the script on what Jonathan was talking about, I think there is uh, even in Messianic Judaism, there's almost like a, a a bit of an insular attitude where like we're willing to go out and go to a church, but like bringing them in, it's kind of like, huh? Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're right. I feel right. like this is going to have to be not just another episode where we talk with those that have served in both functions, but I think that that brings up. A whole other episode's conversation in and of itself is how do we better extend legitimate two-way beneficial, mutually beneficial relationships to the greater body of Messiah? Uh, Yeah, because because, like we've all said, we're all more than happy to step in a church pulpit and preach. Right. But are we truly mutually benefiting one another? Because I think there's a lot of – there's a big – you know, again, like with the iceberg – I think there's a big there's a lot of reasons why, and there's a lot of big reasons why, and they're understandable why there is that attitude in the in a Jewish community versus a non Jewish community. So right. yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, obviously this conversation is uh, not done. We will be having more of this, I'm sure. Uh, Rabbi Eric, did you have anything to add before we close out? No, I'm just sitting here cycling through thoughts in my mind. Uh, that I had never previously really considered. Exactly. Okay. So, exactly. So yeah, this will definitely this will definitely be a ongoing conversation, um, both on and off air. I'm sure between the four of us, and uh, hopefully uh, for those of you listening as well. And um, we will hopefully get and, a few interviews to go along. Uh, and as with you episodes, as you listen to this this episode, 
Um, like I said, we're coming out with more questions than we walked into this conversation with. If you've got questions or thoughts that you want to add to this conversation, drop those in the comments, whether you're listening this, uh, wherever you're listening this to at. Um, and, and then also, you know, send us messages on social media or, or, or what have you so that we can, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts and how, you know, you're processing some of this stuff. Like Rabbi Eric said, this is, and the same for me, some of this is stuff I've, I've never really put much thought into. Right. And, uh, it's it's I think it's important, especially that latter part. Are we truly being mutually beneficial right, in the right. body? Absolutely. Yeah, we all realize that during the episode. So. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you all next week. Check uh, below the episode for any uh, links or anything that were maybe pertinent to this episode. And we will uh, see you all next week. Shalom, shalom. Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast.